That sounds like a Halloween episode last year. It was the tale of the Twisted Claw, I think. Because that episode took place on Halloween. It was like our fourth one. And we actually managed to time that right? That seems un that seems well, unbelievable. Well, it required me to edit like three episodes in the span of a week, but we did it. Jesus Christ. How do we, how are we kicking this one off then? This I don't think I stuttered when I said Ooh. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this extra spooky episode of You Scared of This, a spooky podcast. <laughs> Merry Jolly spookings to all of you. Happy Halloween, everyone, because I assume we're releasing this uh, on or around Halloween of 2016. I'm David Dykes. And we assume you are listening to it around Halloween. And if you're not, stop. <laughs> Do not go any further. Don't spoil the horrible secret of the tale of the bookish babysitter. Uh, I'm sorry, you were introducing yourself. Yes, I was. My name is David Dykus. D-Y-C-U-S. That last part's important for all of you taking notes at home. And I'm joined, as always, by my best friend and the creator of this show, Mr. Eli Phillips. E-L-I. Hi, everyone. Uh, as we mentioned, this is kind of our, our de facto Halloween spooktacular. Uh, this week, we've reached episode number 32, The Tale of the Bookish Babysitter. A favorite of last week's guest, uh, Jose Prindez. We want to thank him again for being on the show, and we hope you enjoyed our sit-down interview with him. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, his book, the Are You Afraid of the Dark Campfire Companion, should be available for purchase, either in physical form or digital, I hope. So make sure to go out and buy that now. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're someone who listens to our show. It's just a fun little read. Got all the extra details, all the stuff that we, well, up until now, missed. Great book. Great book for the Are You Afraid of the Dark fan, or the You Scared of This fan. Yes. Excellent supplementary material. But anyway, moving on to this week's nude business. Uh, Eli, how are you? That, that's not nude business. I mean, it is if you're nude, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm doing good. I'm uh, prepping for my honeymoon. Enjoyed a good episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's a good day. Well, that's that's marvelous. Listeners, Eli uh, is going on his honeymoon... 16, 18 months after we got married? No. Three no, years? Ex- four years? Exactly one year. It's it's our one year anniversary slash honeymoon. We didn't have time to take one before. Listen, plenty of people take them light. If you don't mind me asking, what are, what kind of spooky fun are you and Cheyenne looking forward to having? Yeah, Cheyenne and I are going to be hopping on a plane and uh, flying over to Orlando Studios, where we will visit the Nickelodeon Studios in Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. Holy shit, are you going to see an episode of Double Dare Tate? <laughs> I'm going to break into the Nickelodeon Studios. <laughs> Have you ever watched the video of the guy who uh, broke into Nickelodeon Studios before they converted it to like the Blue Man Group studio or whatever it is now? Oh, it's actually, I didn't even know it was, it was in use. And no, I haven't seen that. There is an amazing video, uh, if if listeners want to check it out, uh, of someone who snuck into Universal, into the Nickelodeon Studios in like 2010 or 2011, sometime thereabout. And this was before it was converted to something else, so they still have all of the old, like, it looks like late 90s, early 2000s Nickelodeon iconography everywhere, but it's just abandoned and derelict. That's awesome. It is sort of haunting and beautiful to see. Not beautiful, but it's worth checking out. (laughs) There was never anything beautiful about Nickelodeon Studios. It's kind of beautiful, in a way, (laughs) just because it was the only one of its kind in the world, and it's this guy exploring the lifeless husk of it. 
it, it might be like beautiful intellectually or emotionally, but there is never anything like visually beautiful about Nickelodeon. Okay. Period. <laughs> they were not a place what? of like of of beauty. The big fountain of slime in the front doesn't <laughs> stir your emotions. <laughs> I mean, not not towards beauty. All right. Well, we'll link to it on the show. Uh, go check it out. Um, I'm trying to think if we have any actual nude business this week, any news from the world of Nickelodeon. The only thing I saw, and we took a little bit of time off, and the, la- the only thing I've seen in the last couple of weeks was uh, the AV Club posted an article on the anniversary of Kablam. Mm, that's interesting. I don't really feel like that's worth commemorating. <laughs> there was a Vice article that is that I wanted to mention called How the Rise of Animation Killed Family-Friendly Horror. And it talks about how the 80s and 90s were a time of shows and movies like Are You Afraid of the Dark and The Witches and uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. They talked about Goosebumps. And they, they sort of talk about how all sorts of family-friendly horror was happening in the 80s and 90s. You know, Ghostbusters and Gremlins and even like Jurassic Park. And all of this sort of died off by the end of the 90s. And they attribute it to the sort of proliferation of really high quality animation they point to things like toy story and a bug's life as kind of the beginning of that and how all of these i never would have cited a bug's life as a culprit in killing off are you afraid of the dark uh well i mean they definitely reference both of those movies toy story and a bug's life as the realization of advanced technology with computer animation and so they talk about how it just became more expensive to do uh, live action movies for kids. Like you weren't going to expect the same returns on a family friendly movie as you would on, you know, like a, a cheap horror movie for adults, I guess. And so they talk about how like animation became the the dominant mode of family film and family television. Um, and this is sort of like what, you know, what we talked about with DJ, where they realized that comedies were cheaper to make than serious shows because the production values, um, you, you didn't have to take them as seriously on a comedy. Uh, and so they kind of analyze how after that family friendly horror kind of died off with a few rare exceptions, like, uh, the stuff that Laika did, Coraline and Paranorman, um, they referenced Monster House. So there were like a few here and there, but it wasn't as prolific i guess as it had been in the in the 80s and 90s which i thought was really interesting and that uh, is interesting i i demand that you send me that article right now as I'm we're se- recording i'm sending you that article right now so that we can put it on the facebook for our listeners all right i see the message from eli thank you for sending it and uh listeners check that out also but yeah so i thought that was an interesting thing it made me think of uh you know our sort of purview that is something we've actually been discussing lately both with jose and uh with somebody else that maybe you'll hear in the near future, foreshadowing some other projects we've got going on. But anyway, for a finish with nude business, let's get on to the matter at hand. The yeah. tale of the bookish babysitter. Yeah, the tale of the bookish babysitter uh, originally aired February 12th, 1994 in the U.S. Uh, it's written by David Preston and directed by Ian Patterson. The episode begins with Frank being a chauvinist. Yeah, uh, this opening is is uh, pretty bad for Frank. At the beginning of this episode, Frank sees Sam carrying a big uh, bundle of, of kindling. Yeah, well, not just kindling. It's it's logs. Yeah, they're logs. It's firewood. He offers to help her by going, Yo, baby, let a real man get that. Or, or something equally offensive. 
Yeah, yo. Let me take them. That's okay, I got them. Babe, they're way too heavy for you. Yeah, she insists that she's fine. And he says, no, it's too heavy for her. She says, no, it's not. And he says, why do you try to be such a guy all the time? Ooh. And all the other Midnight Society members flash him a dirty look. Sam responds to this by dumping all of this firewood on Frank's feet, presumably breaking him. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it would definitely break both of his feet. This is a substantial amount of, of timber that she's dropping. But Betty Ann arrives. She's going to be telling tonight's story. She tells all the Midnight Society, this is a story about storytelling. And everyone else is like, what? Even though we've had at least two or three previous stories about this same thing. Yeah, and she even has a book as a prop, which we've also seen before. Exactly. But she kicks off the story, the tale of the bookish babysitter. And we are introduced to, this is not a two young protagonist type episode. This is a, a different kind of dynamic but we meet belinda who is the most popular babysitter in town thanks to her baffling and confusing newspaper ad her advertisement in the newspaper said for kids who hate babysitters which if i was a parent i would not hire a babysitter based on that ad that is terrible advertising yeah that is not that is not enough information (laughs) no like if kids hate a regular babysitter the person they like is probably not someone you want like There's nothing in that ad to qualify her in the perspective of an adult. I mean, that's like trying to sell Brussels sprouts. It's like, for kids who ate Brussels sprouts, it's still the same thing. Like, you're not telling us why it it is better. Anyway, Belinda works in mysterious ways. She's very cryptic. She looks ridiculous. Like, it must be said right off the top. She is dressed like somewhere between a Renaissance Fair witch and the the characters from the movie The Craft. (laughs) Yeah, she's wearing, I think it's velvet. I think she's wearing a black velvet cape with a hood. And there are like, not stars, but like little white dots scattered throughout it to make it look like stars. And I think it's implied that this girl is like a teenager. This is a woman who's going to look back at pictures from this time in her life and be incredibly embarrassed. So anyway, we're introduced to this bizarre babysitter. She leaves one babysitting job and goes straight to another one. Oh crap, I forgot the main character's name. Turd Ferguson. Gary. Nope. Tucker. Nope. Ricky. Yep. Yeah, again, she is babysitting all the kids in town, but she might just meet her match with her next client. Because soon after we're introduced to Belinda, we meet Ricky, who is, let's just say it, a turd. Ricky is sort of like a sitcom dad from the late 80s or early 90s. Like, he's dressed like John Goodman from Roseanne, and he's sitting on a couch, like, sort of slumped over in himself with his arms crossed, looking annoyed by the world. Like, he just got home from a hard day of construction work and just wants to be left alone watching TV. He looks like Danny Tamborelli's, like, sloppy out-of-work brother, (laughs) who is also a child. Yeah. This is as good a point. In the podcast, isn't he? I think it's time to make an important distinction. There are two kinds of unlikable kids on this show. You have your buttheads and your turds. Yeah. Now, it might be tempting to call Ricky a butthead. I think he falls squarely into the turd category, however. Buttheads are more active. They go out of their way to make life difficult for their peers. Yeah, people who are bullies. Ricky is a turd in that he is just a lazy sack of shit who refuses to cooperate is in no way appealing. Yeah. Yeah, he is just sitting on the couch, stuffing potato chips into his face as his mom is going off to work with a client. 
She tells Ricky that she's, she has hired a babysitter for the night, and of course he grumbles and protests. Mom, Mom, I'm 12 years old. Let me check my notes to make sure I didn't forget any points on him. According to my notes, I've written, I instantly hate this fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Anyway, in strolls Belinda, who tells Ricky that they're going to have a great time. And can we take this moment, now that the two of them have met, is now a good time to discuss Belinda, the actress who plays Belinda's acting style, Natalie Radford? We mentioned this off off mic. I think you described the quality of her acting as porno level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Belinda acts like a person in a cliche, like, maybe not even a real one. Like, the kind of acting you would see on a porno in another movie where someone is watching a porno and they're making fun of how bad porno acting is. It's time to get to know each other. She has this habit of grinning really big, acting like she wants something to happen, but she's trying to act like she doesn't want it to happen. It's so, like, over the top, the way that she behaves in every scene. You must be extraordinarily, amazingly. Yeah, if not for the fact that she was uh, acting opposite a small child, you'd almost ex- expect sexy saxophone music to begin and pornography to start. Yeah, and and let me let me clarify. I don't necessarily think this is bad acting for this episode necessarily, like for this character. It's kind of like a Dr. Vink sort of thing uh, where it's deliberately over the top, but I found it to be uh, maybe a little bit distracting. But Belinda introduces herself. She says they're going to have a lot of fun. Ricky is having none of this. He just wants to sit in his fat chair and watch black and white movies on the television. Uh, But Belinda says that she'll cut him a deal. She's brought with her several books, and if Ricky can read one of them for just five minutes, she will leave him alone for the rest of the night. They definitely missed an opportunity here to have uh, Ricky watching the old Western movies that were on during Midnight Madness. Yeah, he's watching that Battle of the Bostics movie, I guess. <laughs> so uh, he is skeptical of this, but he agrees to go along with her plan. And she hands him a book. It's a, it's like a dusty old book. And he starts reading. A tome. It's definitely a tome. She hands him a tome and he starts reading. He opens up this book. And apparently the opening line of the book is something about a mad witch cackling and flying through the night to ransack a house. Which I like. Which seems like a weird way to open a book, but okay. Yeah. And as he's reading this, we hear witch sound effects from outside the house, the lights flicker, there's something paranormal happening, obviously. Yeah, it's very clear that this book is for some reason coming to life. Look, I'm just going to play the audio clip. Ricky does not read very much of this book. It was late on a dark, moonless night as a wild storm raged across the moors. The hideous witch flew closer to the lonely cottage, swooped down and banged on the door. What was that? Don't stop now. This one's boring. He gets bored after one sentence. Literally after one sentence. And I'm thinking in my head, that was just one sentence. And then immediately Belinda says, You only read one sentence. I can tell. Believe me, I know boring. A quick editor's note, I guess technically that was two sentences. But I don't think it makes a huge difference. But she's brought with her several books. She's she's determined. She's going to try again. She pulls out a book about knights and medieval fantasy and begins reading that with maybe a little bit more interest. But once again, he says it has too many words in it. <laughs> he's reading about Dumb a battlefield. Fuck. 
He's reading about a battlefield and how everyone died, and now the ghost of the king is wandering the battlefield in his melancholy. And he's like, meh, 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 this book has too many words in it. And he closes it. Which, what did he think a book was going to have in it? Ricky could not read a single book for five minutes. But once again, as he's reading the book, for the short time that he's reading it, we sense something paranormal happening. We see a ghost. It, it was actually kind of a neat scene. Looming yeah. in the background, we see the shadow of like a, a ghostly hand cast on the wall reaching out to Ricky. And as soon as he stops reading, uh, it vanishes. Yeah, he closes the book and the hand like sort of shirks away from him. And I really enjoyed this a lot. Um, there are elements of this episode that feel like the opening of Labyrinth when the goblins are trying to kidnap baby Toby. And like... You will see them, and then they'll hide, and then they'll reach out, and then they'll hide. It's done in almost the exact same way, so I really enjoyed sort of the playfulness of this opening. It's just scary enough while still being fun. Ricky gives up on trying to read for more than five minutes and says that he's going to his room, and he'll be damned if Belinda is going to stop him. I wouldn't go out there if I were you. Good thing you're not me. We cut to him in his bedroom. He's playing the biggest portable game console I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I actually, I remember taking a note of this and wondering, is this actually a game console or did they just hand him like a novelty oversized calculator and put game sound effects on it? This is not just a Game Boy, people. This is a game man. <laughs> this is as big as a book. <laughs> I like the idea of the game a man because like this is bigger than the original Game Boy, but it's also it's also gray. It's just a darker gray, a manlier gray. <laughs> but he's playing these games. He's ignoring the babysitter because he is his own man. When all of a sudden, wouldn't you know, someone else is in his room. He thinks it's the babysitter, but then the this unknown other party swings down a sword and cuts his bed in half. It's a knight. It's one of those nights where the mask is really, really pointy. And there's a giant, a single huge feather sticking out of the top of the helmet. Yeah, this definitely looks like a suit of armor that would have been somewhere in Scrooge McDuck's mansion. There is a knight in this kid's room, and he responds to it as any kid would by going, Holy! <laughs> Holy! <laughs> too scared. Too scared to make it as far as the swear word. <laughs> I have this in my notes. It's such a bizarre reaction. <laughs> and I also love the way this, this scene is shot, where you get multiple angles of the knight swinging his sword down. Yeah. Cutting I... through the bed. But then he runs into the hallway, and he's greeted by a giant nine-foot-tall ghost that looks like a cloud of black smoke with a face. Uh, how scary was this ghost to you? This was so scary! Yeah, We've man. never seen a ghost like this in Are You Afraid of the Dark. It's like this big mass gliding down the hallway with outstretched with pale outstretched hands and a and an old man face that's just wailing yeah it has like this big open mouth wailing and they've done something really cool like i don't know who did the costume for this one but i love it uh this this ghost is in an all black sort of like death shroud type thing and then they've taken black gauze like this translucent black fabric and they've billowed it all around him. So it looks like smoke, but it looks like smoke that's not moving. It looks like like this flat, stationary, billowing cloud of smoke wrapped around him. And it's so strange. He looks bizarre. And of course, Ricky reacts the only way uh, a sane person would. With the world's biggest scream take. 
Yep. How big is this scream take? It lasts the entire commercial break. Stay in your seat if you dare. There's more on you afraid of the dark after this. Hey, mate, what do you do when you see a crocodile? You run, you slide, you hit the park and take a dive. It's Crocodile Mile, the great water slide with Splashdown Pool. And the incredible boomerang bump that sends you flying. Watch out, it's coming back. We now return to Are You Afraid of the Dark? He screamed all the way through Crocodile Mile. Once he's caught his breath, I guess, Ricky runs out of the hallway. He looks for Belinda and finds her curiously in the living room, throwing her books into the fire. Yeah, she's tearing like, pages out of a book and burning them. And he thinks to himself, oh, this must be how we get rid of the, the demons and stuff, because clearly the books are coming to life and they're haunting me. Uh, but then Belinda comes in through another door, revealing the first Belinda to be... A witch! Oh my god! She was impersonating Belinda, and now she's like this evil, disgusting hag. I kind of enjoyed this twist. Like, he's running from the ghosts, he runs up to Belinda, she says, help me burn the books, he starts to help her burn the books, and then we don't even have time to really process what's happening. Another Belinda just bursts into the room and is like, ah, fuck, you fell for that one. And when he looks back, the first Belinda is bizarre looking. Like, it's all happening so quick, they don't even really give it any time to be a thing. Yeah, the first Belinda in this scene has transformed into a disgusting old crone with, like, jagged teeth and a, a, a weird voice. So they run away from it, they run into the kitchen, they hide. Uh, the night from before starts trying to cut through the wall with an axe. Yeah. Yeah, everyone is just, like, assaulting the house trying to get into this room. But anyway, Belinda explains that all of these are happening because he started the books but didn't finish them. He wasn't able to play see all these stories to the end. So now he's going to have to make up his own ending. And yeah. she pulls out a blank, a book full of blank pages that will represent Ricky's story. Ricky does a terrible job of making up an ending. He keeps trying to sort of cheat his way out of it. He says things like, Weird stuff happened, then it went away, and they lived happily ever after the end. It didn't work! Our two main characters flee to the basement, and it's here that we get my favorite line of the entire episode. Uh, Ricky tries to make up a new ending. <laughs> this they ran down to the basement where he kept his oozy yeah his oozy we cut to a point of view shot of ricky he looks around the basement there is no oozy <laughs> yeah belinda is looking at him like he is the dumbest fuck on the planet that would have been a great ending yeah i don't know what kind of editor belinda is here but she missed out on a golden opportunity like this story already doesn't make any sense so give the kid his oozy when you can make up the rules of your own story I don't think she, she's allowing as much creative license as she should. Uh, but she says, no, it can't happen like that. Really use your imagination. She hands him the blank book, which he's been insisting she give him the whole time. Uh, and the second he opens it and starts flipping through the pages, he looks up and he's no longer in his messy ass basement. That's right. He is inside the story like he's the fucking page master. Ugh. The page master. <laughs> we were talking about the page master the other day. Uh, we get some great choir music as Ricky explores his new surroundings here, and he's reading the book. He looks inside the book, and every time he has a thought or says something aloud, the words appear on the blank page, explaining what is happening in real time. I don't get it. What's the big deal, he said. Then Ricky's voice trailed off. Can I tell you my favorite part of this castle scene? What? All right. So Ricky's in this castle dungeon, and he's reading a book about how he's stuck in a castle dungeon. Um, 
And I guess this maybe qualifies as a random observation of crap in the background. Behind Ricky, there is a candle burning on the wall. This candle has what is very clearly a light bulb. <laughs> Do you see it? <laughs> I don't have it open right now, but <laughs> that's amazing. It's one of those it's one of those light bulbs that I guess is meant to be shaped like a flame. I never thought anyone would try to use one of those light bulbs as a representation of a flame. I thought it was one of those things where it was just someone being cutesy. So it's kind of like a little blobby flame-shaped light bulb thing. It comes to a point at the tip. And it's just sitting there, unmoving in the background, supposed to be a flame. Okay, they didn't want to use real fire in this episode. That's fine. Ricky's reading the book. There's a fake candle behind him. He turns around, and the very next shot we see, there is literally a goddamn giant torch on the wall, just burning like crazy. One wall has an enormous torch on it, and the other wall has a single candle with a fake flame light bulb in it. Well, they used their entire flame budget on the big torch rather than the, the small candle. That being said, I really like this scene. Like, I really <laughs> like this setting. Both yeah. for intentional and unintentional reasons. Uh, but Ricky is reading through the book, trying to get some clue as to what he's supposed to do at this point. He reads a bit about a knight sworn to protect the tomb of the ancient king. And no sooner does he read that than, oh my god, the knight shows up again. And he's very slowly trying to kill Ricky. This suit of armor shows up, and it's just stumbling and bumbling around this dungeon. It's claying a sword at Ricky. Ricky's tripping over skeletons and, like, dirt. Yeah, a lot of skeletons in this basement. Which which I appreciated. I just realized there's a great shot of the knight standing next to both a giant torch and a fake candle. Perfect. That's going to be our cover photo. <laughs> Ricky opens the book, and it sort of gives him a hint that the knight is looking for a sign. He's sworn to protect the sacred tomb of his beloved king. Dark Knight has waited through the ages for a sign. Ah! And Ricky is racking his pitiful little brain trying to think of what the sign is. The knight raises his sword above his head, ready to deal the killing blow. And suddenly Ricky realizes that his the knight's sword looks just like the sword he has on his t-shirt. Yes. Yeah, a detail we had not even bothered mentioning up to this point. Ricky's wearing a shirt oh, no. of some... Okay, I thought you said they hadn't bothered mentioning it. We, they had. Very early in the episode, Ricky points out that he's wearing a shirt with the logo of some imaginary metal band called Severance. <laughs> it's a knight's sword uh, pointing up towards like the neck of the t-shirt with two sort of angel wings behind it and a banner below it and written in a sort of gothic font. It just says Severance. It looks like clip art, but... Ricky realizes that this is the sign, and he he opens up his, his overshirt like he's a public flasher to show this t-shirt to the knight. And the knight sees the sword, and he kneels down and hands his sword over to Ricky. And in a really great moment, once Ricky takes the sword, the knight collapses like a pile of tin cans. Yeah, this suit of armor just collapses into pieces. Wow, cool. I made a note of how much I liked that effect. It's really cool. So Ricky now has a magical sword. What will he do with it? Uh, a few seconds later, a small girl sort of inexplicably wanders into the scene. And Ricky makes a note that she looks like she's sort of out of time and place. She looks like she's from, what would you say, like 1800s Dickensian London? Yeah, she's she's from like, or like Dutch country. Yeah, Ricky notes that this girl seems out of place and she's asking him for help. And he's like, wait a second, that's not a girl. That's... And when the girl looks back up, she's now that freaky old witch with the weird Muppet voice. You're not a little girl! 
she's now a man clearly playing a female witch. I'm glad uh, you Ricky, said that because that was my question. Like this is this is a, an actor playing the witch, right? This is either a man or a very profoundly ugly woman. <laughs> I, I may cut that part, but yeah. But so the witch, re- so the witch reveals herself. She she screams in her weird Muppet voice, and Ricky just fucking murders her. Well, he checks his book of of cheats. He checks his strategy guide. Yeah, Ricky checks the strategy guide and sees that he has to defend the sword to the death. So he just swings the sword and disembowels the switch. The effect here is not good, but it's very The effect enjoyable. here is terrible! Ricky swings the sword, clearly misses the witch with it, and then over the top of this scene, they have digitally added an animation of something being ripped open and green blood oozing out of it. It looks like it was made, like, it looks like it was hand-drawn green ooze that comes out of this witch. And she screams and then collapses, It's sort of like Obi-Wan. Like, she disappears and her robes just fall to the ground in a puddle of green ooze. She melts like the Wicked Witch of the West. And having slain the villain, Ricky keeps exploring the cavern and he comes to the tomb of the Ancient King, who is the big towering black-clad ghost that he saw in the hallway earlier. The King Ghost goes into his, his crypt. He transforms into basically Jesus. He transforms yeah. into like this bearded figure wearing white robes. And Ricky kneels before the King and hands him the sword. And we hear narration explaining that Ricky had fulfilled his quest or whatever. Final act of homage, he knelt to return the enchanted sword to its rightful bearer, the ancient king. And when Ricky opens his eyes again, he's kneeling in front of Belinda, back in the living room of his his suburban house. Yeah. Story over. And it blows his mind, and of course he can't wait to be babysat by Belinda again. Ricky's mom comes home, she's so shocked to see him reading a book, Belinda is... Just hamming it up, <laughs> smiling real big. And Belinda leaves on a sort of cryptic, almost pervy note where she's like, I'll see him again next time. She, well, she, everything she says is pervy. She, uh, The mom says, oh, Belinda, let me pay you. And she looks at the mom and says, ma'am, I've already been paid. And then she, yeah, she looks at Ricky you. and she's like, see you next time. That woman would not be coming back into my house to watch my child. No. But that concludes the the tale of the bookish babysitter. We cut back to the Midnight Society. And in a moment of deja vu, Tucker tries to to mess with Betty Ann. He's like, what about the book you had earlier? And he opens up the, he steals the book and opens it up. And of course, the book says, The book that the beautiful and intelligent Betty Ann held in her hand was grabbed by that stupid little jerk Tucker. And you, <laughs> hey, how did gotcha. you know? I loved this scene. <laughs> Even though it's reminiscent of, uh, last episode's thing with the the Tucker doll. Yeah. I still thought this was better. Because Tucker is furious. He's fuming to everyone that, like, she got me! She yes. pulled one over on me! He says, Guys! She, she got me again! I love this this relationship between Betty Ann and Tucker. Where, where Betty t- Ann is clearly a witch? Yes! Yes! But following this, they put it at the fire, all the kids wander into the woods, and rock an awesome theme song. Rock an awesome theme song. I love this episode. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, well, yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, what did you love about this episode? There was very little scary about this, but this was just so fun. It had so much energy to it. 
Uh, we keep jumping from one crazy scenario to the other. Uh, we had a main character who was a turd, but he was at least a compelling turd. Even though Ricky is an unlikable character, he's an unlikable character that I enjoyed watching. Because for a lot of it, he's getting his comeuppance. Like, the very opening scene, when it's just he and his mom and he's being a shit, you instantly hate him. But then from that point on, you're watching, like, funny, bad things happen to him, or him redeeming himself. And it just kind of, uh, it, it definitely makes it more bearable to have an episode where the, the butthead is the main character, or where the turd is the main character. It's just, the episode is really well-paced. Uh, there's always something interesting happening. There's always something interesting in, either in the background or the foreground that's worth looking at. The special effects range from genuinely kind of creepy to hilariously inept. Yeah, it's uh, interesting how far afield they run. Yeah, like when the when the ancient king is gliding down the hallway, that's scary. Like, it's actually a, a really well-done effect. But then, of course, we get to the dungeon, and it looks like something out of a Halloween store. This was sort of a best-of-all-worlds episode for me. This is all of the stuff that I find charming and fun about Are You Afraid of the Dark rolled up into one episode. Yeah, everything about this episode is fun, even the parts that aren't good. Uh, Jose talked a lot about how he enjoyed the bookish babysitter and he wanted her to come back, and I definitely think there would have been a lot of opportunity for that. There are so many different stories you could have told with this character. Um, and when I, I first, I totally agree. When I first finished the episode, I thought, well, they would all be pretty much the same episode again, right? Like a kid doesn't want to read a book and then they read a book, but maybe not. Like it would be really easy to see her visiting a house that she's been to before and the kids are excited to go into an adventure and then things go wrong um, or even take a wild turn and have this character be doing something maybe different like maybe this isn't the only trick in her bag and she is like Dr. Vink and she's she does all sorts of different stuff even though her acting is hammy I definitely think she's a lot of fun you could have had her visiting different kinds of kids like maybe she goes to visit like a, a kid who doesn't know how to talk to girls or maybe he go, she goes and visits a girl who is like, you know, has some other like personal struggle that she's she's working through. Social ineptitude, that, two siblings that can't get along. There are all sorts of things you could have done with this character. Yeah, uh, it is a shame that we don't see the character of Belinda again because yeah, lots of possibilities. Uh, but she made her one appearance count, and uh, yeah, I like this one. Yeah, um, I I want to point out. I was working so hard to find interesting stuff in the background of this episode. Um, and I, I don't want to say I was, I don't want people to think that when I do that, I'm doing it at the expense of enjoying the foreground of the episode. Um, I, I, I really like taking in as much of the visual scenery in a show as I can, like as things are happening. There is, like you said, a lot of interesting stuff happening in this episode. The house is really, uh, full like when they go in the basement it's just wall-to-wall stuff again he disappears into a castle and there is clearly a lot going on there um i noticed that he's wearing reebok pump shoes which i thought was funny (laughs) but there's not there's not any one thing (laughs) if only he had pumped them up before fighting the knight that's my theory as to how he beat the knight like he opens up his shirt but the knight actually just saw his pumps and was like oh fuck i'm doomed so yeah there's a lot to see in this episode the characters are fun but there's really one question that we have to address here. All right. Dykus, you scared of this? Um, I cannot in good conscience say yes. <laughs> uh, there, there are some really neat visual effects here uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, but uh, no, it's not scary. It's fun, but it's not scary. 
Right. And actually, I will praise this episode for that. A lot of times when an episode isn't scary, I sort of get frustrated by it. But this is an episode that does a good job of being fun um, without, I think, without trying to be scary. So there you have it. The tale of the bookish babysitter. An episode that sounded from the offset like the most boring episode they could have come up with. Uh, Actually, maybe one of the best of season three. Yeah. So that's the Bookish Babysitter. What do we have to look forward to next week? Well, next week we're in for a treat. We have The Tale of the Carved Stone, which was written by Susan Kim and directed by the great Ron Oliver. So it'll be great to see Ron again. Not only are we seeing Ron again, but who else are we seeing? Oh, I don't know if we should spoil that, Eli. <laughs> okay, we okay, maybe I will. We're going to see Sardo again, because this is a Gary story. Yep. So yeah, th- Sardo's get, third episode. Get excited, people. This is going to be, this should be a fun one. Uh, so until then, I want to encourage everyone to uh, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash youscaredofthis. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at youscaredofthis. Uh, if you want to listen to our back episodes, we're on iTunes, and we're also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash youscaredofthis. Uh, and if you find us on iTunes, please leave a review, uh, rate us, subscribe. We appreciate all of that. And, ac- and also, before we close out, I actually want to send a shout-out to another podcast, if you don't mind. Please. Uh, one of my good friends on Facebook, Ryan, uh, who is a part of uh, the Flophouse Facebook group, which is how he and I met and became friends through there, uh, launched a podcast this month that is, I think, a a fine listen for people who are fans of our show. Ryan reviews a uh, horror anthology series from the 1980s called Static Screams in his show Tales from the Static. And there is a... He does a great job um, reviewing each of the episodes, which are all really interesting. And there's a really wonderful twist to his show about Static Screams. Uh, I'm not actually going to reveal what that is here, but if you uh, if you don't remember the show Static Screams, do a quick Google search of it, and then find his show on, uh, on iTunes as well, because uh, I think it's a lot of fun, and it's a really interesting take, sort of, on uh, something similar to what we're doing here. So I definitely encourage you to check that one out. Ryan has been very supportive of our show, and uh, and his show actually, there are a couple of times where he sort of gives nods to Are You Afraid of the Dark, which I enjoyed. With that business taken care of, it's time to bid you all farewell for another Halloween. So be safe, don't eat apples with razors inside them, and uh, don't take any retold claws from, from witches' houses. Oh man. Any twisted claws. Yeah, don't pie any old ladies in the faces. No, I'm not gonna go any. Fu- I'm not gonna go so far as to discourage the hat. But <laughs> have a safe, happy, healthy, holly jolly Halloween. Good night, everyone. All right, uh, that Ooh. was a weird one. <laughs>The final shot of Belinda when she's walking out of the house and she says, I've already been paid. She's standing in front of the bookshelf that's behind Ricky's couch. On the shelf at like right at eye level, right in the middle of the screen, there appears to be, and I'm like, I'm really 50-50 on what I'm looking at here. A bottle of booze, a pack of cigarettes, and a bottle of lotion. Oh. Ricky's in for a long night. <laughs> Which was the most Ricky thing I could think of a 12-year-old having. <laughs> <laughs>
Ricky, this 12-year-old kid with the mind and work ethic of... John Goodman. Uh, yes. Mom, leave me alone. I had a rough day. I want to watch my show, eat my chips, drink a beer, smoke a cigarette, and go home and tug one out. Gross.